Hey, welcome to the second episode of Wildly Querious. The first official episode. I am Dr. Corinne Vota. And I am Brittany Freer. Master. Not Jedi Master. No, you're right. Not Jedi Master. But that would be fun. But I don't... I don't, I don't know about What that. power would you use if you were a Jedi Master? What, like, what do you mean, what power? So, like, you have the mind control. These are not the droids you're looking for. Or you have the... Oh, shoot, I can't reach that can of dust off behind you. I can concentrate and it can come towards me. Oh, there's the ever-famous I can lift you up with by your neck with my hand and squeeze. It's the dark side of the, of the, of the Jedi. What power would you want? Oh, that's so hard because the mind control seems manipulative and I'm not about that life. Yeah. Um, to hold you up by your neck seems violent. I'm also not about that life. Okay. So I guess, can I move things? I can move things. Yeah, you can move things through space. Well, then I guess I'll pick that. I can move the dogs. Okay. So that when you're sleeping and... When you are snoring, I could put a dog on top of you and they'll lick you and wake you up and I don't have to move. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think this topic we're talking about this week, um, maybe I maybe I do kind of wish that I had the power to lift someone up by the neck and squeeze because I have one particular Florida governor in mind that would just be the perfect candidate. I'm not advocating violence, but also, I mean, he's advocating violence against our community, so... I don't know. Maybe turnabout. But if you had superpowers, you're like obligated morally to use them. For good or for evil? I think just obligated. Okay. If we learned one thing and only one thing from She-Hulk, it was that you Is gotta it? use your powers. No no, 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 no. We learned two things from She-Hulk. One, use your superpowers. Two, don't watch She-Hulk. I'm sorry. Love Jamila Jamil. Adore her. She's excellent. She's fantastic in everything. Um, but that show is just bad. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm the one person out there that didn't like it, but that show is just dumb. So today what we're talking about is the war on really educators and the queer community as a whole, but then specifically talking about trans kids, how they are specifically under attack. So for today, we're really just kind of talking about the education side. Now, anytime we talk about trans issues, I feel like I have to explain my own background a little bit. Um, again, I grew up thinking I was trans before I learned I was intersex and had this interesting condition. So I do have a, a very lived trans experience. Having come out as trans before learning about my intersex status and just kind of facing the repercussions that comes with that in my home, in my family, in my religious communities, uh, in school even. Actually, when I went back to get my doctorate in psychology, it was actually a big thing um, that I was trans and there was all sorts of um, discrimination I had to deal with because of that as well. Let's start by talking about what trans is, just so we understand it from the context that we're talking about on, on this podcast. Maybe we should talk about what trans isn't. Okay, what trans isn't? I mean, for the sake of like, if we're really getting to bare bones, trans is not the gender binary. I'm, I'm willing to bet anyone who's listening to this podcast understands a little bit about what it means to be trans. I mean, I, I don't think that we have infiltrated the Christian nationalist movement quite yet. I'm going to hand it to our listeners that they understand what being transgender means. The part of this I, I like to, to emphasize and bring attention back to is that every, every major medical organization in the world understands transgender as legitimate. They understand it as requiring education to, for both the trans people themselves and those around them. They understand it as a 
condition, which there are interventions, medical interventions that make life easier, that reduce suicidality, that expand inclusion and safety. And ultimately, the research shows that any trans kid that is affirmed in their family, in their school, goes on actually to be even more successful than people who aren't trans as far as their interpersonal relationships are concerned. And that a lot of that comes from having support systems around you that support you. Not everybody has that. Your average kid may or may not have a good support system around them. Whether they're trans or cisgender or queer, they may not have a great support system. So a trans kid who is supported, that means they will have a good support system. It means parents are generally open and affirming and welcoming and supportive. The schools they go to are welcoming, supportive, inclusive. And so they're actually more likely than just your average kid to have a positive uh, outcome in their lives, in their interpersonal relationships, mental health, lack of depression, because they've been around, around supportive people. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's 100% true. Okay. Part of the research behind that is from um, the Family Acceptance Project. It's, it was put forward at San Francisco State University, but they figured out that children in supportive homes are more likely to have positive health outcomes than people who aren't. And so a trans kid is more likely to have a positive health outcome than any kid if they've had that support in their home. We know it's really important that these kids are supported and they have access to resources. Every medical organization understands these kids need um, inclusion, uh, affirmation, and, and treatments that are life-saving, quite frankly, life-saving. Now, what we've seen recently is a lot of legislation passed to override every med major medical organization in America. That's scary to me. That's scary to me because lawmakers have no business dealing in the medical world. And the consequences are huge to so many people. And there's just tons of people that think they know about the issue and talk about it. They don't have the science. They don't have the information. Anytime someone tells you the science isn't out on transgender, gender affirming care, that means they've chosen to ignore the science. There's almost 40 years of research on gender affirming care showing it works. There are other things going on. There are things in the news with, and there's a video out of a former president who thinks he's running for president again, who's really struggling to, to gain any traction because most people don't want a coup dictator. He's struggling to drink, gain traction amongst the base. And so he decided that declaring war through the extermination of transgender people is his new platform. So that means over the next two years, we're gonna hear a lot about the dehumanization of the trans community. I'm so fucking tired of it. And so here's our podcast episode where we're tired of it. That's really what it is. Obviously, like I'm enraged and incensed at this war on the trans community by people who have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Literally 40 years of science, every medical organization in the world says gender affirming care is critical to survival the hell are we doing i don't know you kind of took it on a buzzkill direction so i don't really know how to follow that okay well let's let's keep it less buzzkilly because there is reason for hope the reason for hope is that i don't know maybe i'm defeatist maybe 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 i'm a, I'm a little bit like i grew up in the era of pearl jam and that's right well yeah i did and something changed in the gay community there was a turning point where enough people got to know gay people. They said, wait a second, these are our friends. These are our family. These are our teachers. These are our community. And they realized a lot of the stereotypes about being gay um, were wrong. It took living through a nightmare in the gay community before the rest of the world finally said, you know what? We don't, whatever. They say the trans community is about 25 years behind the, the gay community in terms of acceptance. And so... But for acceptance from which generation? Because I would argue that millennials and younger are probably more accepting and open than Gen X and above. 
Yeah, I, th- I think many are. I think and I'm not sure that there has been... I, yeah, I wasn't alive, so I don't know. Um, but I'm not sure that generally, generationally there's been as much of a difference in how people view diversity as maybe there is, you know. I think there's regionality to that, though, because younger people do naturally have an inclination to being more open to diversity. And I'm not sure if it's just because they're younger or because they haven't been exposed to hateful rhetoric as long that they've just... Well, but you also have more people who are younger identifying outside of, you know, the typical gender binary or outside of even just being straight. Well, and I think that brings up a key point we're talking about in education and healthcare, where people that are against the trans community are using this data that says, oh my gosh, in the past five years, three times as many people identify as transgender as before those five years. And it's like, of course they fucking do because they're allowed to now. There's actual data taken on them. Right. There's actual information out there and like, oh, we're seeing this massive rise in gender affirming care. Fantastic. Because insurance companies have finally stepped up and said, hey, here's a need we've been neglecting for a hundred years. Let's start providing it. So they're trying to use this, this increase in number of people who are identifying as trans or increase in gender affirming procedures to say, oh, this is a fad or an epidemic or this is, this, is, this is something not real. And it's like, no, you don't understand. What that data shows is that the need is real, has been real for a very long time. And as we build systems that are more supportive, inclusive, and affirming, people are allowed to come out. And that's fantastic because we know that in the trans community, if you don't have that support system, the likelihood of suicide or self-harm or homelessness, murder, substance abuse are, are, are exponential. And it's mitigated by gender-affirming care and gender-affirming situations. So today, um, I have a history with Utah. I have a history in Utah politics. Um, In Utah, uh, one of the first states of the year, not the first states ever, Texas was, I think, first, and then Florida second. But Utah has now banned gender-affirming care for minors. And specifically what they were talking about there seems to be related to medical intervention but i haven't i don't have clarification on that it might actually include it might actually include oh that sounds way better (laughs) hi how you doing (laughs) it might actually include um therapy it might actually include you know mental health care i don't know how you can ban something within mental health care there's no prescription like there's no prescription for being trans. No, I'm so offended by as a psychologist. But you know what I mean? Like Right, there's no direct medical intervention, but now you're assuming psychology is not a medical intervention. No, but it's not one where you're doling out anything other than conversation. At the at the base <laughs> level, like every psychologist from me. Here's just the like, thing, oh, like God. people oh, God. people go see doctors because you know there is something wrong, and then the doctor, in order to fix, in air quotes. I don't think air quotes translate. I know they don't. <laughs> but in order to fix that, there's usually like to address that. Okay, to address it, it's you know here's a prescription or here's a medical treatment or here is something very specific. 
that is outside of like the interaction that they are having as patient and doctor yeah. that they are doing. Take two of these and call me in the morning. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so that doesn't happen in therapy. So I feel like that would be a lot harder to regulate, you know, than it would be a doctor who's prescribing hormones or who's saying, Hey, like, yeah. You know. th- yeah. And there's definitely a degree of confidentiality that goes along with psychology and, men- and mental health. But <sighs> so Utah has pa- passed this ban and, it's so crazy because the governor who signed it in the history has been decent, uh, not good, but decent is saying, Hey, I'm not going to go out and attack LGBTQ kids. He must be up for reelection. Maybe that's why he decided this was the time to attack the trans community. But he, he was quoted as saying, this is Spencer Cox and, and Spencer, you know, you know who I am and I'm calling you out, buddy. Um, this is nothing more than a bid to get reelected because if you actually believe what you said when you said, oh, we want to be more supportive and loving to the trans community, you'd shut the fuck up and knock this knock this shit off. So now apparently is, this podcast is getting the adult rating. <laughs> is there, um, I saw something and I don't know if this was Utah or where it was, but I saw one and maybe it was just listing off like pending legislation because there was something like oh yeah 150 different legislations but i saw something that was like you can't get or the legislation wanted to prevent gender affirming care until you're 26 well that's that would actually be good compared to what some people saying today the the wait so waiting longer to get gender affirming care no banning entirely that's the mission of Repu- right but now we're past 18 yeah where 18 is like oh you're an adult you can make you can go join the army you can right. go you know you can vote you can yeah 21 you get to drink 23 you get to rent a car like 26 you get kicked off your parents car insurance but you can go have you know top surgery if you want to I, so I, it doesn't make that that doesn't make sense well and ultimately what it is and this is what this this debate really comes back down to and I don't mean to trivialize it in the sense that the trans community isn't being targeted because they are. This is absolutely an agenda item. There are national players that have decided this polls well, that this gets their their base riled up in a way that gets them to the polls that they can raise money on. This is This is nothing more than... Let me tell you how to be a good Republican. And by telling you how to be a good Republican, I'm going to quote Aaron Sorkin, who nailed it. He says, this is how you win elections. You tell people what they're going through isn't their fault. You tell them who to blame for it. And that's how you win elections. And you rile them up against the the, the, con- the common enemy you created that isn't them. And that, and that is. That's how you win elections. You tell people, oh, you're doing great. Something else is bad. Let's go get them. And that was from West Wing? No, it was from American President, but oh. that's, it's, it's... Same guy, though, right? Same guy, yeah, okay. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin, you don't know me, but if you ever want lunch, it's on me. Okay, so, so, so digressing from that point, that's what Republicans have figured out. This is a common enemy, and this is why this year, last year, and the year before, you're seeing so many of these bills targeting people. And it really is the, just just the dehumanization and eventually extermination of people. So that's that's why it's out there. But what the bigger issue is, and so again, I'm not trivial. I do not mean to trivialize the trans community. It's about autonomy over your bodies. That is ultimately what this is. 
if you look at what's been going on in America in the past couple of years with the overturn overturn of, of Roe v. Wade, now legislators think they know more about your physical health than actual doctors. Well, and not only that, though, but isn't some of what's coming out that politicians are doing going against like who and all of the other the, the, doctor the, the associations? The well, th- that's exactly right. So for perspective on gender affirming care, Every major medical organization, everyone. Not the who? WHO. Not the, the World <laughs> Health Organization. I, that's who I meant, but included. did it sound like I was talking about the band? Because I've probably never even heard the band. I thought you could just call it the who. I'm sure you actually have. Okay. <laughs> They've got a couple songs, but the, the WHO. Um, Can you tell I'm not the doctor here? The American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Endocrine Society, the Psychiatric Association, the Psychological Association, every one of them mandate gender-affirming care because they know it saves lives. There's not, there's not even a question about it. And none of those organizations would do that if there wasn't mountains of scientific data supporting it. But there's also, too, it's not just like, oh, the... WHO says, you know, gender affirming care. So any like 12 year old can, you know, walk in and get surgery. Like that's not how it works. And there's, there's practices and there's safeguards and there's procedures and there's a lot of freaking hoops that you have to jump through in order to access that care. Yeah. And I think that vetting process isn't understood. And I think, or talk, it's never talked about. No one ever talks about, what you have to do in order to go get on hormones, what you have to do to go get surgery, like so what you have to do to do any of these things. So let's talk about that. So because there, there is some blame to be shared in the, in the mental health community about this. Mental health community in so many ways are the gatekeepers to accessing gender affirming care. If you're going to have a surgery of any kind, you're going to go to a therapist first. Regardless of your age. Regardless of your age. Mental health professionals are the are the gatekeepers, and there are there are mental health professionals out there that will absolutely say, "I've never met you before. I'm not going to meet you in person, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a letter for free saying you're qualified for gender affirming care." That scares the shit out of me as a psychologist and mental health provider because. There is actually a vetting process that goes on before someone has access to medical treatment, whether they be puberty blockers, hormone treatments. And let's let's leave surgeries off the table right now because I got, actually don't know any surgeons that are performing operations on kids, anyone under 18. There might be a couple, but they're also performing breast augmentation on 16-year-old cisgender girls. So I don't, that's... That's also gender affirming Which, care, by the way. Yeah, I was about to say if, and this is a total tangent, but I would like to say it anyway. If we're banning gender affirming care under certain ages, then that means, you know, breast augmentations. But then that also means any sort of surgery performed on an intersex baby. Yeah, that is not absolutely medically necessary because I think there are some that are actually like you know you will die if you do not right. right. But I think that's no one's talking about that. But that's that can be a whole other whole other thing. Well, it, and it's so related. It's like if you're going to prevent gender affirming care, then let's stop actually deciding, mutilating babies. Mutilating babies. But 
apparently the right wing's okay with that. <laughs> the right wing's okay deciding well, someone's sex at birth. Well, because they don't see that as gender-affirming care. Right, because they I, don't Even know. though it's only, it's affirming the parents and the doctor's idea of what the gender is. It's, that, it's affirming right. in that way. Right. But I, I digress. So... Back on the point of mental health providers, like I said, there are those mental health providers out there that'll write that letter and without even knowing you. And that, it's fucking dangerous. They're, that's really, really dangerous. Um, and honestly, it's actually a violation of the, of the code and ethics we all live by of we don't write letters, which is in the mental health field the same way pretty much as prescribing, without assessment <laughs> without saying hey you know what this person has shown sustained desires to transition gender or they identify as another gender they have shown the capability of m- making decisions and sticking sticking with them the potential side effects of hormone treatments or puberty blockers have been considered and now you can full-heartedly endorse a letter when you say hey you know what this person has shown consistency. They have shown uh, the mental acuity to per- to to proceed with treatments. Which I feel like that is. It seems pretty obvious. Like if you have someone who is coming in and saying, "Hey, like, you know, I want to take these steps. I want to transition in this way." I think more times than not, it's more clear that like, oh yes, this is. So let's com- let's compare ADHD and again another another condition that's diagnosed somewhere in between that line of mental health and 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 physician providers. It's something we treat to help people be able to function a little bit better in whatever their role or profession, role, school, profession, whatever whatever it is. No one can go into a doctor and say, "Give me Ritalin." Now, that's, that's, that's not a thing. There are actually steps that have to go in place. There's processes of verification. Although There's, isn't Ritalin like a, it's, it's like the kind of drug you have to show your ID for at yeah, the pharmacy. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a controlled substance. But if someone Whereas testosterone and estrogen aren't controlled, well, right? They aren't. They're actually readily available in food. And lots of, <laughs> lots of women take estrogen when they hit menopause. Right, exactly. And no one bats an eye about like... Completely benign, completely... Yeah. Right, exactly. These are not dangerous chemicals we're talking about. They're chemicals that already... They're chemicals that already exist inside of our bodies. They're physically altering in different doses than what you have naturally. Yeah. But it's not like you're not going to get addicted to estrogen. Right, exactly. God, that would be horrible. Could you imagine? Oh, I would die. <laughs> Except you wouldn't because it's not deadly. No one's ever died from an estrogen overdose. I know, but I don't like what estrogen does in my body. So you should try progesterone. That's that'll really that's a fun one. No, Anyways, thanks. so we've already decided as a society that someone um, can go out and take this controlled substance of Ritalin if it helps them perform better. It's not required of them to function, but they will definitely. Um, Become better versions of themselves if that's what their definition of a better version of so themselves I, is. I feel like there's there's a larger gap of it's not like a person who's not taking Ritalin can't like do anything all day. Right, exactly. But it's definitely I mean, for some it's the difference like in school in particular, like if you've got a kid who's on Ritalin versus not who like would really benefit from it the difference in performance is huge it could be huge the same way gender affirming care is where here is something that 
physiologically speaking, your body, um, if you're a transgender, uh, transgender girl, if you... Who is the only type of trans person that ever gets talked about. <laughs> right? Discussion for another topic on, on another episode on that one. If that person doesn't get hormones to, to facilitate transition, their body, from a physiological standpoint, won't have any negative, negative health effects. They're, 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 they're perfectly healthy from a physiological standpoint until we factor in mental health and depression and suicidality and what that actually does to your body. The more we understand depression, the more we understand it does have a physiological response in your body. So that trans girl has, that has been denied access to hormones, what would seem like a typical physiological development isn't because the effects of depression will actually physiologically impair her body. Whereas the administration of hormones doesn't have any negative health effects and it, and, it, and it doesn't and that's what we keep talking about is there are no negative health effects of taking hormones i know when i started taking hormones because my intersex condition my chance for cancers actually several cancers actually went down because I, de I was decreasing testosterone in my body i am healthier from a physiological standpoint being on hormones and I'm even healthier because symptoms of depression have been mitigated and my brain over the past 10 or 15 years has learned to rewire itself and has a better physiological response. So there are actually health benefits for this. Now, people are talking about puberty blockers. And it, se it seems like puberty blockers would be a happy medium because it's preventative more so than changing. Right, exactly. That's the thing about puberty blockers. Let's talk about those for a second. So I've been involved in the prescribing of puberty blockers as the mental health professional on probably 10 or 15 different cases where I was the, the expert that was brought into a form and addressed the customer, make sure they're, they're the customer, <laughs> the client, the patient, make sure they understood that what they were getting into, why they were making that choice, and... Um, you know, the effects on the, on the body. And then I was working with a um, psychiatrist and endocrinologist uh, who were actually involved. So, and psychiatrists, just for, just for reference, these are people that went to 12 to 16 years of school. So they know what they're talking about when they're prescribing medicine and they cannot prescribe medicine that they know will be harmful to somebody. Same thing with endocrinologists. Endocrinologists is a very interesting specialty where they know they know tons. They know so much more. You don't. We don't give them a lot of credits because sometimes we'll just go into them and say, hey, I have low testosterone or I'm going through menopause and I need a hormone replacement therapy. It's like a body chemist. It really is. Ultimately. And chemistry is so scary. Ultimately, endocrinologists know their shit. And so I was a consultant on these cases. And ultimately, I ended up recommending um, puberty blockers for probably 90% of the cases. 5%, I said, nah, fuck it, you're 16, 17, just go on hormones. Like, <laughs> and you've been living a, living a transgender um, out and trans for, you know, three or four years. Like, no reason not to. Um, and then 5% 5, 5 of the cases I didn't, I didn't recommend. Puberty blockers are for a very specific scenario. I don't want to say age group, but like pre-puberty. 
so is essentially so here here's the thing about puberty blockers and, and so i told you a little bit about my experience with them they're administered during the second stage of puberty which basically allows for natural growth um bone growth um height um some of that development that is important for our health to occur before they're administered. So again, arguments about, oh, you know, this person never matures or whatever, that's, that's, that's not true. We wait until the person has already started that process in the second stage of puberty, where bone density is already increasing, height is already increasing um, before they're administered. And then what they do, they're a pause button. They're literally a pause button, they're a blocker. They prevent hormones from acting a certain way inside your body that would continue a traditional femme or traditional mask uh, development experience. And then here's what they here's the thing about this, and this is why the arguments against it are so so peculiar. As soon as you stop puberty blockers, if it's not replaced with hormone therapy afterwards to help you achieve the desired results, you're going to proceed in a very typical physiological response. Here's one of the, th the other things about puberty blockers and why they're so critical. People think they can tell if someone's transgender. I've noticed this. I've noticed cisgender people think they can say, oh, that person's trans or that person's trans. And I have to admit, sometimes they're, they're right. Sometimes there are, there are signs and indicators that someone's trans. And that's not a small deal for people in the trans community. They're very aware of that. And when people later in life transition, they're very aware they're going to stand out. And at some point in time, they kind of have to come to grips with that, um, incorporate it into their identity, incorporate it into who they are. Um, because not everyone will achieve society's version of passability. Though there are things that can be done to... To which help. blows my mind to make someone look more masculine or feminine like there, that that just that there are blows my mind and i don't believe a trans woman has to look a certain way to be a woman i don't i don't believe that that at all but i can tell you right now if taking the example of the transgender girl who at 12 13 or 14 might grow to be six feet tall which is tall tall among among women um, who may develop a lot of body hair, um, which is not specifically male or female oriented, but there are some physical attributes or whose voice may lower dramatically. Well, and I think part of the thing is everything that happens during puberty that is contrary to what aligns with someone's gender means that there is a huge financial cost, yeah. a huge investment in time, yeah. a huge investment in resources, and a huge investment in mental health to sort of remedy the things that misalign. You're exactly right. And, and when we're talking about those kind of costs and obligations, here's a community that already struggles with employment, income, housing, basic living needs, not all. Again, I do I don't mean to generalize that, but now we're adding additional burdens and complications on top. And I can tell you right now of all the people that I participated in the uh, or facilitated getting puberty blockers, all of them on the on the cis on the um, trans girl experience, not one of them would have would ever be flagged as trans. 
by anyone in society. They prevented their, their voice from lowering, which can't be undone. There's technically vocal tightening, but that's, again, so cost prohibitive. And again, not, voice lessons, and there's, there's, there's so, so many, many things. things. And so, and I think that's what got me when I saw whatever I saw about not allowing gender affirming care until you're 26. Yeah. Because now that's even more time and more stress and more distress that you have to experience. Yeah. And that's more, you know, probably more time that that individual is going to have to spend in therapy because they're unhappy. Yeah. Which, you know, is obviously more money. And it's just like, there are so many ways in which the population could be better served by being allowed to make some of the choices and have, I mean, even having, we're talking about not even having them have the ability to consider the choices at this point. So it's, I don't know. There's longer term ramifications of just straight up banning gender affirming care for anyone who's under the age of 18. Puberty blockers are in so many way are, I think the fact that there are puberty blockers addresses the concerns. That's, and that's what I thought. I thought that would be like the middle ground. But and again, that doesn't help the whole population, right? Because there's no. a, there is a group of teenagers who that is not appropriate for, who that will not do anything for, who like, you know, are not even getting the option of puberty blockers. Well, that's the thing. So the argument of the right is, oh, you may grow out of your choice or whatever. So because that's a possibility in your, in your mind of they might choose otherwise, why isn't puberty blockers, which are very old technology, that's not like a new advancement in the five years. They've been around for a very long time, used for all sorts of different reasons. Why is that not a viable option for these people? And then ultimately it's because, ultimately it comes back to the question of autonomy. If they were truly about, hey, you know what? I want you to be sure about your choices and make sure this is the right choice for you. Great, puberty blockers, answer, done. Not answer for everybody. Not answer for everyone. Answer for some. That would be the, that's the middle ground coming in where. Right, exactly. And that they aren't that tells me this isn't so much about actually doing what's best for kids. It's about they want to be able to control your bodies. They want to be able to decide. People that have no idea what the hell they're, they're talking about when it comes to actual medical care, mental health treatment, and so on. They want to be able to control your bodies. They, Which I don't like. I don't understand. And as someone who's been on the receiving end of that... <laughs> For like, you know, non-trans issues, just like. We don't live in a democracy. We don't. We live in a theocracy. We, as America, as much as we like to say freedom of religion, we were founded as a Judeo-Christian. The, 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 the Mayflower, the Pilgrims, whatever whitewashed version of history you want to think about. They didn't leave wherever they left because they wanted to be able to practice whatever religion they wanted to. No, they wanted to practice a type of religion that was banned where they were. And that has persisted. And that is why we're seeing the rise in this Christian nationalist where they very much want us to be their version of, 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 of a Christian nation. For as much as they talk shit on Sharia law in, 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 within Islam nations or certain Islam nations, not all, they want that shit here. They want that. They want to be able to force you to live according to the way they decide. And the only reason why you do that is if you didn't have a winning message to start with. Like, 
if Christianity was great, truly, if Christianity was great, people would be flocking to it. They'd say, hell yeah, I want to be part of this. But it's not. It's the reason why religion is, is why young people want no part of religion. They realize this is not great. This is, this is the dehumanization of other people, and I want no part of it. And these people on the, on the right, these people in power, these older people that have these positions are so desperate to cling on to that power, they're going to force you into their system of theocracy. And it is going to be a monotheist, fascist, fascist society. And that, that, is, that is what they want. And attacking trans kids, because every battle they win proves to them, we can control your body. We can control your actions. And it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I don't know. You took it in a direction. There's nothing to say. It's just the truth. It's just, it's, it's, it's what it is. These people want control over your bodies. And ultimately, any. But I don't think it's control. I don't think that's what the, that's not the main goal. What's the goal? I think the main goal is, this is how certain, certain people are expected to behave and to exist, right? So if I wanted to go get a hysterectomy, the doctor would say, "Mm, you're too young. You might want kids. We can't do that. So because there is that expectation of I am a woman, women want kids. You know, we don't want to take away the ability for you to have kids because we know that that is quote unquote important to your identity, you know, because it is for so many, like, I mean, historically, like, that's what, you know, women do. And I think there's still so much value tied into like being a mom and having kids and like being able to get pregnant that it's like that thing that fits into their prescribed way of being to risk that is much too dangerous. And so in sacrifice of that is bodily autonomy is the ability for someone to say, look like I, I really want a hysterectomy here's the reasons why they could be they could be the best reasons in the world but unless it's going to kill you you don't get to have that because or i guess i mean unless you're old enough right to where childbearing is not a thing you don't get to have that and so i think when when you're looking at kids and you're saying oh we want to protect them it's we want them to fit in this box the box that we believe is the right box for them to fit in. And if they start taking hormones and if they regret that choice, they, they can't fit in that box anymore. Well, and I think fitting in the box is a big issue. Like I remember I sat down once with a, a leader in the Mormon church who was furious that I was advocating for self-determination. No one gets to decide who they are. And I was like, holy shit, did you get to decide who you were? <laughs> like, of course you do. Everyone gets to decide who they are. Otherwise, we are literally robots. Otherwise, we are literally in the matrix. But I think that conversation was so eye-opening to these people cannot stand. And this actually goes back into psychology where they've accepted an identity that maybe they didn't want and they have to live with it. And they hate themselves so fucking much for doing that, that they have resentment towards anyone who says, you know what, I get to be who I want to be. And that drives these people crazy inside organized religion of, wait, you get, you get autonomy? You get, wait, you get to decide what's best for you? They can't wrap their well, heads around that. that's a new concept, that. though. Is it's, it? In so many ways, breaking free of, like, 
what your parents' expectations were for you and who you were supposed to be and what you're supposed to like. And I mean, it's, there's a lot of it that still feels like if you're in a certain age group, all of that is very on the fringe. Whereas if you're, you know, younger, and this is where I guess the talk of like, you know, millennials and younger versus like, you know, Gen Z or who are you again? Gen X? Yes. It's so, I mean, we we have real names like millennial. It's a name. It's not just a letter. Okay. We cared enough to give ourselves a name. Um, But I feel like... Actually, it's Gen X who named you. You're welcome. I, I feel like only so you could talk shit on we us. We decided who you were. Only you don't so get to you decide. Talk shit. We're reclaiming it, okay? <laughs> but um, I feel like you're, you're kind of the gray generation where some people are, you know, yeah. that older and some people are a little bit younger in that. But it's still, it's, you know, very much so becoming more acceptable to say, oh, you know what? Like... My parents aren't healthy. I'm not going to have contact with them anymore. Yeah. Or, you know what? I really want to pursue this thing and I'm going to do that because I have been empowered to do that. Whereas like maybe, you know, this person's parents haven't been empowered to do that. And so there's so much more and times are so different. You know, you can now go onto the internet and you can find a bunch of people who will empower you to go be an underwater basket weaver. (laughs) You know, even though your parents don't want to, and they're like, oh, that's dumb. You can't swim. You know, (laughs) you can go find that elsewhere. And so I think that the options and people are seeing, oh, there's actually a whole community of people who do underwater basket weaving. It's uh, options have opened up and there's much more connectivity to what different options are, which could also be another rise and why we're seeing more youth, you know, from a percentage wise are identifying outside of the gender binary because they have access to information that explains who they are. They have connection to that. And that's something that, you know, I mean, I knew I grew up in a time where there wasn't internet and then there was barely, barely. No, no, no. But like going to, I grew up when there wasn't, but going to a computer class was like, we're learning how to type and we get to play Oregon trail. Like that's, that was the internet, you know, I had in elementary and middle school years. And so I'm, you know, my generation is really on the cusp of like what this is, but the who's below me, Gen Z. Sure. I, oh God, I, we need names. So here, I think. But I th- they're so much more, you know, saturated with the good and the bad of all of that. And it's like, you know, you can't even compare the experience of kids now to the experience of boomers. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're exactly right. And I think that access to information is a huge component of self-determination. You don't know what your options are. Like, I was thinking about that, and it took me 30 years to undo what's essentially, in in psychology, it's called identity foreclosure. What it is when we're developing, we've accepted someone else's idea of who we are and who we're supposed to be, and so it's identity foreclosure. Basically, we have stopped progressing. You know what? I did grow up to be a... a, a, a doctor because my parents wanted me to that's identity foreclosure and so and i think about myself growing up i was in school in the 80s and we there's no books on this there was no access to information and because of that i had no words to describe what i was experiencing growing up and your there, world is only as big as your world is you know like your your circle is only as that's big really deep. Your circle, <laughs> 
here's the thing if you're in a dark room and you can only see to the end of your fingertips yeah that's as much as you're only ever going to be able to see right exactly exactly and the world has gotten bigger the bubble the circle has gotten so much bigger exponentially so and i think that's one of the things that blow, blows my mind is the amount of information that is v- available to youth now to be able in mental health there's a concept of being able to put a name to what you're experiencing and as soon as you do that things get better as soon as you can identify oh you know what that thing i'm experiencing is anxiety oh anxiety is a real thing everybody experiences it as soon as you can put a name to a thing healing begins hope begins growth begins acceptance acceptance um and maybe some self-determination because you can't fix the problem if you don't know what the problem is right or change not to say all problems need to be fixed but when i think about that i think about i wanted to grow up to be a pilot more than anything the concept of flying was freeing for me there's there's no other words to describe it and that was never an option for me but i I was able to read books on flying. I understood how it worked. I understood the mechanics of it. So even though I was never able to to fly when I was younger, I knew it was possible. And just knowing it was possible got me through to when I was finally in my 20s and I learned to fly. And it was an opportunity that was available to me earlier. But knowledge, access, learning about it is what kept me satiated. I think... And that goes back to, I think, like schools, not being able to talk about your gender identity, which, again, is complete bullshit. And this is, and this is why. Because gender identity gets talked about all day, every all day in schools. All day, every day, gender identity and sexuality is taught in schools. Separating boys and girls in line. Oh, how dare they? PE class. How dare they talk about sex in school slash, boys, you can't hear this, girls, you can't hear this. And, um we're going to celebrate your relationships. You're very cis, cisgender heteronormative relationships. Oh, a teacher gets to come in and be like, Oh yeah. Like my husband and I went out this weekend. But if a, a guy comes in and says, Hey, my husband and I went out this weekend. Oh, that's problematic. And it's like, that's, Oh, you cannot talk about men and women at all. Like it's impossible not to talk about gender identity and sexuality in schools. Because it matters. Because it matters. Historically, gender matters. And that's that's the thing of the Christian right. How are you not seeing that every time you talk about your cisgender husband or cisgender wife, you're talking about gender identity and sexuality every single time? Every single Disney movie should be banned in your in, in your worldview because they talk about gender identity and sexuality. So your issue isn't with gender and identity and sexuality. Your gender is with a very certain type. Well, of Moana gender identity. was actually Moana and uh, Merida. Those are the two that don't have romantic arcs. They're they're not banned. Yeah, they're not banned. And they're and banned. and I'm still a little bit ups, up, upset about Frozen. I feel like they were definitely gay baiting. But I don't fucking care because that music's so good. I don't. I but don't again, care. That one would, I don't care. I, that I, one should be banned, according to what you're saying, because Anna mailed Mary Man you first meet. Like right, exactly. She had two men. Yeah, exactly. Man, she again, around. that that dialogue was only able to exist because it has gender identity and sexuality, and I don't hear Christians furious about that. But the second they give Elsa a girlfriend. 
oh that shit's gonna explode but again that's here's what fits in our box we like what fits in our box it fits nicely in our box yeah, it looks good in the box and anything that's outside of that is not okay uncomfortable it doesn't look pretty it's hard to understand it doesn't fit in the box like it's it's spilling yeah. out of the box it's it's just a problem you know for them not one of the things we talk about in in uh in mental health is cognitive flexibility i had this instructor once uh supervisor um when i was getting my doctorate and he had this cute little i don't know if it was a i don't know if it was a metaphor it was, it was a way he could could explain this concept of cognitive flexibility and basically it's can things be okay that you don't understand or can you be okay with difference and that's actually a really good sign of someone who is not only mentally healthy but mentally mature and he would use this example of ice cream two people come into a room and the question is asked to one of them what's your favorite type of ice cream and the person responds um, you know my favorite type of ice cream is vanilla and the other person in the room, what's your favorite type of ice cream? And they're like, oh, my favorite type of ice cream is Rocky Road. People who are not cognitively flexible, that person who likes vanilla, isn't okay with someone else thinking Rocky Road is the best type of ice cream. And they're going to do everything in their power to convince that person, no, 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 you need to think vanilla is, is the best type of ice cream. And they're never going to try Rocky Road. Right, Exactly. Rocky Road doesn't exist. Right. But a cognitive flexible a cognitively flexible person has that maturity to be like, that's awesome that you like Rocky Road and you think that's the best. That's cool. That in no way impacts my thought that I think vanilla is the best. It doesn't impact your access to vanilla. It doesn't impact how much you like it or don't like it. Right. Exa- exactly it. And it's that ability to say, you know what? You have something that's very different than me. Something very different going on. And that's cool for you what we're seeing right now is people who are not cognitively flexible saying you're doing something different than me so you need to do what i'm doing and they're probably very vanilla they're very vanilla <laughs> anyway I see what you did there <laughs> you opened the door so credit to my former uh supervisor dr davis for that little analogy uh, we're wrapping up our discussion this week here on episode two of Wildly Querious, but uh, more discussion coming up. Uh, we're doing this bi-weekly, so every other Wednesday, basically, we're dropping these podcasts and these episodes. Um, listen, listen in, tell your friends. Um, or don't. Or don't. It's okay. We have cognitive flexibility to be like, you know, yeah. if you don't like it, it's cool. If you don't cool. like it, that's cool. Not we're your, still deciding if we like it for ourselves. Sure. Exactly. Um, anyways, thanks for, thanks for listening in and, and, um, yeah, we're done. Goodbye. Goodbye.